All right, we've got about 10 minutes left in our final segment today. And um, I was hoping to do obituaries since we have a number piled up for the whole year. But I think we only have time for two. The first being a revisit of Nelson Mandela. And we're going to have to mention, I think, the passing of Peter O'Toole. The Economist cover story for its December 14th issue was the passing of Nelson Mandela. Unfortunately, the magazine came out uh, too late for us to have quoted from it in our commemoration of the great South African leader. But the writing in The Economist is often very good. This was no exception, and I just want to quote a little bit from it. Said the magazine, The greatness of Nelson Mandela challenges everybody, but especially his heirs. Said The Economist, among Nelson Mandela's many achievements, two would stand out. First, he was the world's most inspiring example of fortitude, magnanimity, and dignity in the face of oppression. Serving more than 27 years in prison for his belief that all men and women were created equal. During the bleak years of his imprisonment on Robben Island, thanks to his own patience, humor, and capacity for forgiveness, he seemed freer behind bars than the men who kept him there locked up as they were in their own self-demeaning prejudices. Indeed, his warders were among those who came to admire him most. Second, and little short of miraculous, was the way in which he engineered and oversaw South Africa's transformation from a byword for nastiness and narrowness into, at least in intent, a rainbow nation in which people, no matter what their color, were entitled to be treated with respect. Well, I think that sums up pretty well what took us 40 minutes, but I want to quote further. They said important for the future of his country was his ability to think deeply and to change his mind. When he was set free, many of his fellow members of the African National Congress remained disciples of the dogma promoted by their party's supporter, the Soviet Union, whose implosion shifted the global balance of power and thus contributed to apartheid's demise. Many of his ANC comrades were members of the South African Communist Party who hoped to dismember the capitalist economy and bring its mines and factories into public ownership. Nor was the ANC convinced that a Westminster-style parliamentary democracy, with all the checks and balances of bourgeois institutions such as an independent judiciary, was worth preserving, perverted as it had been under apartheid. Mandela had himself harbored such doubts, but immediately before and after his release from prison, he sought out a variety of opinions from those who, unlike himself, had been fortunate enough to roam the world and compare competing systems. He listened and pondered and decided that it would be better for all his people, especially the poor black majority, if South Africa's existing economic model were drastically altered but not destroyed, and if a liberal democracy with universal franchise were established. That South Africa did, in the end, with little bloodshed. They noted, too, in conclusion, that the ANC's failings are not Mr. Mandela's fault. Perhaps he could have been more vociferous in speaking out against Thabo Mbeki's lethal misguidedness in the subject of HIV-AIDS, which cost thousands of lives. Perhaps he should have spoken out more robustly against the corruption around Jacob Zuma, the current president. In foreign affairs, he was too loyal to past friends such as Fidel Castro. And he should have been franker in condemning Robert Mugabe for his ruination of Zimbabwe. But such shortcomings and South Africa's failings since his retirement from active politics pale in insignificance when set against the magnitude of his overall achievement. 
It's hard to think of anyone else in the world in recent times with whom every single person and every corner of the earth can somehow identify with. He was quite simply a wonderful man. I also want to quote from a curious piece in the Sacramento News and Review by Dave Webb, taking a look back at Davis in the late 1970s when an effort was underway to get the city of Davis to divest its money from corporations that did business with South Africa. Noted Dave Webb, in March 1978, by a vote of the people, the city of Davis divested its money from apartheid South Africa. As remembrance of Nelson Mandela swirled last week, a vote in Davis scarcely towers. The struggle in South Africa was life and death. In Davis in 1978, Measure A was a gesture, a comment, that's all. But, said Dave Webb, it mattered. Dave Webb describes plunging into this struggle, saying it was intoxicating, the activist life, political analyses that actually carried moral weight, good guys, evil guys, armed struggle, imprisoned leaders, long, long meetings, precincts that needed walking, flyers that needed distributing, new skills, no wages. The latter upset my parents as much as the leftist ideology. And yeah, there was this beautiful woman in the leadership of Measure A, the political will get personal. We've been married 31 years. It was heady stuff. It swept me away. I nearly flunked out of college. Dave's wife, by the way, was and is Melinda Welsh, founding editor of the Sacramento News and Review. I have to say, looking back on that era, which I remember well, having lived in Davis as this effort was underway, that I personally had my doubts that divestor would, um, would help the people on the bottom, the black South Africans. When 10 years later I embarked on a trip to go all around the world, I did not hesitate to visit South Africa. So I guess on my end, I did not personally divest interests in the country. But uh, I wouldn't trade that trip and the subsequent one I took in 1990, the one I mentioned before that that ended (laughs) the day before they let Mandela out. Uh, I, I just wouldn't trade that for anything. It's a beautiful and interesting country, and I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that it has made this transition away from the uh, oppressive government it had without bloodshed. Dave Webb wrote in the piece, I programmed the Distinguished Speaker Series at Mondavi Center for 11 years through 2010. More than one African speaker began his remarks by complimenting Davis as being the first to divest by way of Measure A. It mattered. He concludes by going, you activists, you go. Go hard, go long. Good luck. I know Nelson Mandela and the ANC expressed gratitude to people all over the world that put pressure on the South African government to change things. And I certainly know from talking to South Africans in South Africa that they were not happy to be cast as the villains of the world. So I guess it has to be said that Measure A certainly did help. But I did retain some skepticism about how these efforts went down through the 1980s when Paul Simon was roundly criticized for for breaking the embargo and and actually having South African musicians play with him and then become famous all over the world. Somehow this was a bad thing. He apparently angered people in the ANC and other groups by not clearing it with them. Anyway, looks like we have no time for Peter O'Toole today. It'll wait. We got about two minutes left, and I guess I just want to note in closing that I don't often get a lot of information useful for talking about political things from ESPN. But on Sunday afternoon, I happened to catch a documentary that was on ESPN titled The 16th Man, talking about how Nelson Mandela, astute political figure that he was, 
decided that the South African rugby team, composed of Afrikaners, much hated by the black population because it represented the people who were basically keeping them in chains. The South African Springbok rugby team was uh, the thing around which his main opponents rallied. Thus, Mandela decided that it was important that, first of all, when the ANC voted to change the name of the Springboks, he appealed to them and said, no, we mustn't do this. This is the kind of thing that wars get started over. And actually promised at one point before the election that, you know, if you guys will vote for this, we'll, we'll bring the world rugby uh, tour to South Africa. And he was as good as his word. He made this white Afrikaner team feel that it indeed represented everybody. He convinced the black citizens of South Africa that it, in spite of the fact they had, had only one black person on the team, it represented the nation as a whole because South Africa was not to be a nation of black or white. Everyone was to work together. And I must say, I was really inspired by the talk of the South African rugby players who described how they realized that, oh, actually, we can play a role in unifying our country. The sporting event we're engaging in is is actually very important for the future of the nation. It sort of amazes me that, that Mandela really had a sense of how important sports are to people. And when he showed up before the final game wearing the uniform of the Springbok team, apparently that is what won over the Afrikaners. It sounds silly, it sounds trivial, but it was a gesture that just worked. It resonated with the country. And again, I think speaks to what a unique individual he was and how fortunate South Africa was to have him. Unfortunately, we are out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. We'll see you next year for our first show in 2014. In the meantime, Happy New Year. These are the days of miracle and wonder. This is the long distance call. The way the camera follows us in slow mo. The way we look to us all. Oh, yeah. The way we look to a distant constellation that's dying in the corner of the sky. These are the days of miracle and wonder. And don't cry, baby. Don't cry. Don't cry.